Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. This is Pod Have Mercy. Matt. John. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. I am too. It's good to see you. We've been sitting here talking about pandemic and churches and pastoral changes and all that sorts of stuff Mm. and... Jeff said I had to introduce us, so <laughs> hi, I'm John. And I'm Matt. And this is Pod, Pod Have Mercy. Mercy on the front end. <laughs> I want to say thanks to Meg. Meg has sent us coffee. Mm. She listens, and you know what? We are partaking really good of stuff. This wonderful root. She, she gets it from Lampshade. I love it. Lampshade coffee. Like a lampshade. Pot Have can, Mercy can enjoys lampshade uh, coffee. Can you show your coffee cup there as well? Of course. I don't know if your you can. Your coffee oh, cup. Gotta, what does it say? Coffee Snob Collective. Yes. Did they send us coffee? Yes. Oh, ho, ho, ho. I can see. So lampshade <laughs> and the coffee snob collective. And and it looks like it looks like Jeff is wear, a wearing cut. a little merch. Oh, you even have this shirt. And taking a little side <laughs> cut little off side of it. Cut. We may need to talk about that. Yeah, why aren't we not hey. seeing this? If y'all want shirts, y'all can have shirts for sure. Ah, Coffee Snob Collective. Oh, and we got Java Pura. Man, we are becoming like the we, coffee yeah. podcast, dude. We need to start our own gin, like, you know. Locally roasted in Texas, Java Pura. So all I can tell you is I will be glad to promote all the coffee in the world. Um, Java Pura Lampshade, the Coffee Snob Collective. These are, this All is just good stuff. So, you know, <clears throat> what was interesting this morning, we're thinking about what does it mean in this world? You talk about these pastors who are stepping down or resigning, or you think about the tension in the world for these churches in this, it's like everything has to be so divisive. Yeah. Everything has to be so dividing. It's like you can't even have, like here locally, there's a, a local school board election, right? Right. And all of a sudden, the feel, the language, the it has turned into like the whole Trump Biden political landscape. Yeah, I mean it's it's really disturbing that it it continues to perpetuate on in the way that it does. You just it's very divisive, 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 divisive. I think both are both of those. It's, it's yeah. But you know, last last uh, when I wanted to talk about if you're okay with it, is yeah. this understanding of something that I think is very helpful for us thinking about testing assumptions, reflecting on our assumptions in life. And this comes out of family systems, comes out of organiza- organizational systems. But really it made me think of this last week. We, uh, I was preaching on John chapter 10 and the Good Shepherd. And Jesus has this odd little line statement in verse 16 of chapter 10 where he says, um, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. Mm. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Uh-huh. You, you've heard this before. Yes. Would you like to, would no, you like to say something? No, no, about no. It? Or would you just like no. to? <laughs> I don't know where you're going. I don't know where you're going. Well, no, I was just going to say. I mean, you've yeah. heard this before. Yeah, yeah. This text has it ever caused you to question yeah. and go, "What does he mean?" Yeah, I mean, I, 
I, I think that the wideness of God's mercy and grace is beyond our own, um, like we draw boundaries and God says, actually, outside of the boundaries you've driven, you've, you've um, drawn, I have people. Hmm. Uh, my people are outside the boundaries that you've, you've said who's in and who's out. I think anytime we draw a boundary around grace, around who is in and out, um, as I've said often, we often find Jesus on the wrong side of the line. I, I really think there's been this, uh, this conversation in the denominational or religious and Christian argument where you have a group of people who are really crying out for unity. Yeah. And then there's another side that wants to draw the circle smaller yeah. that says you are turning unity into an idol. Yeah. Unity you know, cannot exist without the correct doctrine, orthodoxy. the correct polity, yeah. and the correct you know, orthodoxy as I define the orthodoxy. Yeah. And so... You know, I look at this and I'm like, this is not just one passage or two passages where Jesus seems to really deeply value not dividing the flock, but bringing the flock together. Absolutely. Uh, bringing people together. And so the Good Shepherd in John 10 mm -hmm. is not just concerned with those that are currently within the flock, but also for those who are outside the flock. And theologians through history have interpreted this different ways. You know, on the one hand, they say, oh, well, he's referring to the Gentiles because he's, he's Jewish, he's Jesus. And you see this even with a Syrophoenician woman or, another, or the Samaritan woman. Right. The, the disciples seem to think, well, Jesus just came for us. And he's like, no, there's more than you. But even, even if that theologically is sort of the understanding of that passage, mm -hmm. it still reinforces the point that there are other sheep, right, that the way you define what the pen is, the sheepfold is, yeah. right? That there are others outside of that that you define as outside of right. your sheep pen. Because right. that would have been appropriately, uh, that would have been the appropriate context for him talking to his disciples. Right. You, the Gentiles sure. are unclean. They're outsiders. They're outside the pen. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so whoever you think's outside of your pen, why would that not be the same case? Right. I mean, now. And then, you know, the, the, another... Uh, ex expression or explanation is that, you know, Jesus has this desire that all of his followers be of one flock. And he even expresses that desire, mm -hmm. you know, that there may be, <clears throat> he says that there'd be one flock and one, maybe shepherd. one flock and one shepherd. This is it, you know, and this also then leads into something that will come soon in John where he says, I and the father are one. I, I, I desire that you be one as I and the father are one, right? That you may right. be one, that we are one. And he has all this crazy cyclical like language that's hard to follow. But he, basically unity is very important for Jesus. It's the final prayer for mm -hmm. his people before he leaves them. And I think that's also like the text this week in the lectionary about abiding in the vine. Yes. He's trying to teach him before he leaves, you know, in John 15, that I'm not going to be here anymore, right, as, as you like walking beside you, but you still can be connected to the resource, to me, mm -hmm. so that you can bear fruit. Where is the fruit born? Not in the base of the vine, but on the farthest edge of the branch. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what we are. So the fruit is born through us. Right. But it has to be connected to the soil, the, source and the, the ground, yeah. the life. And so all of these things are jesus sharing with us the way it is to be christian in the world the way it is to love in the world the way mm -hmm. it is to be easter people in the world yeah 
that's kind of the that's kind of where we are right now in that's between right. Easter and Pentecost. That's right, and that's that seems to be the point of of like I I've never understood the text that we're looking at until really. Um, this season that we've been looking at these these texts and something you had said and something was brought up in a Bible study I'm a part of on Fridays where that 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 Jesus is um, is rooting his disciples in peace and giving them um, an operational system that will face them towards the future both with him and without him right that we have access to God's spirit but Jesus isn't physically present with us how do we live in that in between time Right, and we're back in that time now between, you know, um, the resurrection and Jesus coming again. You know, mm-hmm. how do we live with God but without God? Um, it's the way Bonhoeffer describes that. Yeah, I, I the last way that scholars have interpreted that through the years has been that these other sheep refer to the Gospel of John points out these believers that are not here yet. Hmm. Jesus says. You know, yeah. blessed are you who have seen me and believed, but even more blessed are those yeah. Yeah. who haven't seen me and will believe. Yeah. So John references that a lot. And so some people think Jesus is referring to those in the future, right? Mm. That yeah. haven't seen yet or have yeah. opportunity. But any one of these ways that, that theologians have traditionally interpreted that point to that one main uh, crucial concern that the good shepherd is not about the division of the flock. Yeah. The good shepherd is about the unity of the flock. So however it is that you understand the flock or the sheep pen in your faith as Christians. So when I think about, for example, and again, I'm not going to weigh too much into um, that church in, in North Georgia because I don't know the details, but... All I know is you have a situation where you have a bishop and a pastor and a church, and all I see in this situation is division. Yes. I mean, it's toxic. Um, I see the statements from both sides, and neither one make me feel like, oh, they, they acted or responded perfectly <laughs> in this. Mm-hmm. And yet there's no desire, it seems like, both sides want to be right. There's no desire to see and sense. Um, how do we how do we find and discover the unity in this instead of the division? Right. And this is the default um, in society uh, by how we may live and act. And this reminded me this morning when we were uh, with our staff of something that Peter Singe. Uh, in his book, The Fifth Discipline, talks about mm. these leaps of abstraction, or yeah. adder, actually it's called the ladder of inference. And it's actually a way of learning to test assumptions so that we can um, avoid generalizations about people. So here's a great example uh, uh, to sort of set this up. And I think this is really helpful for anyone, whether you're in your family, your workplace, um, anywhere, church, society, politics. About, a, about two years ago, was in a meeting, and usually I'm never on my phone in a meeting. I'm always kind of engaged when I'm in the meeting, you know what I mean? But I was in this meeting, and something was blowing up. That happens sometimes, right? And so I'm getting pinged, and I had to make like a call like just right there. Yeah. Well, I didn't want to get up and leave the meeting, but I wasn't really leading the meeting. I was there in the meeting. 
So I was on my phone, I was texting. Well, come to find out a couple of days later, one of the guys in the meeting, you know, was talking to other people in the meeting and was very upset at me mm. and was saying, John didn't care about what we were talking about. You know, he apparently stoned. stoned. No, no, on his, I didn't <laughs> Did say stone. you say stone? I, I said on his phone. I thought you said <laughs> no, stone. He was stoned. <laughs> no, oh, no. I wish. Um, <laughs> so, so, I'm sorry, I can't hear. I'm old. <laughs> I thought he said stoned. <laughs> yes, I was on my phone. And <laughs> say other words that sound like other words yeah, and see I mean, if you can bait me yeah, into that just, too in the future. Just whisper. Just whisper. <laughs> um, so, but anyway, I, I, I found out he's talking to other people and he had made these generalizations about me. Um, now, the first thing I had to think was I've been in meetings with this guy for years, never been on my phone. This one time, uh, he saw this and they make this some show. We ultimately talked, um, and I was asking him to test some of these assumptions. I told him what was going on and why it happened. I'd not done it before. And by the time the Zindies goes, oh, I, I understand. And I told him, I said, still probably I should not have been on the phone. I could have gotten up, walked out, or whatever else. I did think it was interesting that like two meetings later, he was in the meeting, his phone rang, and he answered it and got him walked out of the meeting. But that's a whole different story altogether. But there's another one actually that, uh, that Singy uses is about this worker named Laura. And she's in the workplace and the coworkers believe that Laura doesn't care about people she works with. And they mm -hmm. look at, they say, well, she rarely offers praise to anybody. She often stares into space when people are talking to her. You know, sometimes when people are talking, she cuts them off. Whenever there's a gathering or a birthday party, she never comes to the party. And so people are looking at all of this. This is the data they see. They see. This is the experience mm -hmm. they have. And they begin to make an assumption. They begin to develop um, you know, some sort of an assumption about this or adding meaning to it. And they decide, therefore, that Laura doesn't really care much about us. She doesn't care much about being here at work. She's just not really into it at mm -hmm. all. Well, Come to find out, as Singy says, that once someone went to begin to test assumptions and ask Laura about these things, they found out that Laura actually has a hearing impediment. Oh. And so that Laura has to see people's lips. lips. You know, one of the things they thought was when Laura was not facing you and you talked to her, they thought you, she was ignoring you. Well, no one knew that she had this hearing impediment. She didn't like to talk about it a lot. And so... Once that came out, they found out that basically their assumptions were being challenged. Now, what Singy says is the decisions that they made about Laura or the decisions this man in the meeting made about me were based on facts. They were based on actual right. things that had, happened. that had happened. But they drew inferences from the facts and they never tested them. So they make up a story about the facts that are the facts are in reality the story and the meaning making out of that comes not, from them right is, is placed and upon so, it so so here's what's key mm -hmm. in relationship 101 whether it's in your marriage or with your kids or with your parents or in society or in politics or, or wherever it is is that okay the facts are here shared between us but i'm going to make different inferences about the facts than you are for example a couple of years ago i posted 
And I've learned not to post anything besides food and puppies. Yeah, I just, I just poet puppies, kittens, and my dinner is all that you get. It's all Josh on Facebook anymore. No, but I mean, you know, there used to be more that I would post, but I posted something. So this was during the time when the stuff was going on at the border around the 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 children being separated from families, Mm -hmm. and it became. I mean, for me, it was just like. It broke my heart yes. that, that children were being yeah. separated from Absolutely. their parents. But it became a very deeply politi- politicized argument, right? Mm-hmm. And so you had one side that said, well, they're illegally coming over, that parents should know, da, 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 whatever. And the other side that just saw it as this is just a wrong thing to do. And I, 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 it usually, and it came down ultimately to like people who tended to be more on the, on the Republican side or on the Democratic side. Well, there was, there was this great article written by Laura Bush. I thought it was a great article. She's Republican, right? But it was a very compassionate argument about the, the children, which yeah. is where my heart was. It was yeah. just like, I don't care what's wrong, right, or indifferent. It's like, we're talking about kids here, right? Um, and so I thought, wow, this is the perfect article. This will... Written by this, mother. This written will change a, everything, yeah, yeah. and everyone's <laughs> mind will be changed, and everyone yeah. will see clearly now, because it's a mother, you know, she's not one that's ever been really political. Yeah. She's focusing on the children, and she's Republican. And I put that out there, and it didn't work the way I thought. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it didn't right. have it yeah. didn't have the outcome that I thought it would. And it just goes to show you that again, you yeah. know, people are coming at things from different experiences, from different from their different cultural background, their different beliefs or the different whatever it is that that some of these things are more important than other things. So they're drawing inferences. They they have generalizations. So what I've learned is that you've got to test the generalizations directly. You have to uh, inquire the reasons behind people's actions. And this is called testing assumptions, testing generalizations. Yes. We don't do this in yeah, our society. Yeah, yeah. We are ill-equipped to do this in our society. I don't think we do it very well in our own personal relationships, right? I, I, I mean, <laughs> like that. And then we just compound that and you, then you add a multiplicity of relationships and then a whole culture on top of that, right? Um, then it's it's something it's something we don't do well as human beings at all. Wait, I've said this before a long time. There's a difference between dialogue and discussion. Mm. Dialogue, the word dialogos, means that the word passes between. Yeah. Logos, the word dia, means to pass between. Whereas discussion, the root is like cushion, concussion, or percussion, mm. right? And discussion is just me pounding, pounding yeah. on this yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So we're really good at discussion, but we're not good at dialogue, right? Mm. And so Singhi uses this thing called a ladder of inference. It's an image to see the power of generalizations or assumptions that are untested. And so what it does is it starts out, it's just think of a ladder, okay? And at the base of the ladder, you have everything that's observable. So you look around this room or wherever you are listening to this podcast, just look around the room. There's a light fixture, there's a wall, there's a person, there's a camera, there's a TV screen, there's a microphone, there's whatever it is. Mm -hmm. We all have access to the same data. You can see everything that I can see. For the most part, I can't see what's behind me, but I think I know what it is. So we have access to all the same data. 
But what we do is we actually um, choose certain pieces of data. So I see everything here, but the first thing I might choose is Matt Lang Matt's body language. All right, why do I choose that over say my empty coffee cup? I could choose my empty coffee cup and then make wonder why Jeff doesn't love me and fix me more coffee, <laughs> right? From Java Pura or Lampshade or the Coffee Collective, you know, those sorts of things. Um, but no, so what I do is I look around, I have access to all this, but I land somewhere, something's going to catch me and cause me to make some evaluative decision. I'm going to add meaning to that. That's so right. I might land on your body language. Uh, I might look at you looking down at your phone or whatever it is, and I might add meaning because Matt's not really into this today. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. Yes. So I'm adding meaning um, to what it is that I see. Now, once I start adding meaning to what I see, I then make assumptions based on the meaning that I'm adding. Matt, you know, Matt's on his phone a lot when he comes to the podcast. I'm not really sure he really ever wants to be here. Um, I don't think Matt Russell likes me at all. Uh, I draw conclusions, you know, therefore Matt Russell can stick it and I'm going to find a new co-host. I hate Matt Russell. Then, then that becomes beliefs about the world. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. No one wants to be, no. I mean, what I'm saying is you draw these things and then here's the key. When you get to the top of the ladder, so interesting. You've observed the data, you've looked at everything, you've made the assumptions, you draw conclusions, then you begin to adopt beliefs. Well, then you take action. The action might be, you know what, Jeff, ask Joseph if he wants to come be on the podcast next week. Tell Matt he can take a week off. Now, first off, everybody who listens to the podcast would be mad at me if, if we did that. I'm not sure if that's true, but... <laughs> I think it's true. But, um, but it manifests in action. Or... It manifests in actions of like so talking about Laura earlier on the thing. It's like people decide that she's not a good employee and then they don't invite her to anything. Or let's just say there's a guy on the phone mm. and say he's not me, but he's someone else who works at your workplace and he's on the phone. Then you see that, you add meaning. You're like, well, he must not care. You make assumptions. Uh, you know, I don't think I'm gonna invite him to the meeting anymore. And that then manifests itself in actions. This is, this is what we do, and this is why society has become so divided. Now, what Singhi says, if you look at that picture, is that there is this key discipline and moment that we have to engage in. And I think this is deeply spiritual. Yeah. I think yeah. it's rooted in self-reflection. I think it's rooted in groundedness. I think it's rooted mm -hmm. in humility. Mm -hmm. And I think it's rooted in identity. And what he says is when you get to this place where you begin to make assumptions and draw conclusions and begin to adopt beliefs, you have to make this move before you take action, before you stop. And you have to go back down and reflect upon the data that you have selected and observed and the meanings that you've added to them. And it's not just that I come back and I say, okay, let's come back to Matt, uh, Matt's body language. Now see in the reflexive loop, I'm gonna come back down and I'm gonna think about the data. Right. So first off, I can look at your body language. Well, I might decide I want to, I might want to pick a different piece data point. Right. I might want to look and go. Well, Jeff's the one with the bad body language, not Matt. Well, this ends in a bad place too. 
the better <laughs> thing, the better thing <laughs> where I find the biggest value is when you start then bringing the reflect, reflective loop back down, not just on the data, because sometimes we need to look at other data. We've, we've got everything here, but we selected something for a reason. It hit us a certain way. We subscribe meaning to it. So I could still come back to your body language, just using you as an example. But what I want to do is I want to question, I want to test the meaning. So <clears throat> rather than me walk up the ladder of inference, the better way for me to go is, hey, Matt, I noticed your body language today. Mm-hmm. You just like, you look like you're not into it or something. I noticed you were on your phone while I was talking. I mean, talk to me about that. What, is, right. you know, what does that mean? And you could go, well, you know, my wife had an emergency and, mm. uh, you know, when the kid had to pick up the kid from school or, yeah, I, I've got my leg crossed over this way because I sprained my ankle or, uh, or yeah, I'm looking at you glazed over like I'm not listening because I didn't sleep last night because the puppy was sick or, you see what I'm saying? Right. So what happens is all of a sudden, because I've tested generalizations or assumptions that I've made, I've learned something. It's, it's countered what I right, assumed. Right. Now, as I go up the ladder of inference, things are different, all right? The meaning that I added, the assumptions that I make, the conclusions that I draw, the beliefs that about the world and my actions based on my beliefs are now different. And this, and then I'm gonna stop. This is what I see we do not do. Yes. Social media is the worst, worst at moving straight up the ladder of inference without ever engaging in this reflexive loop from data to beliefs (laughs) so when somebody puts something on social media all right so let's say last week about the george floyd trial a lot of people posted a lot of things and in the comments section a lot of people said things in reaction to what people posted and i saw a few of these where people were posting certain things and someone would like just spout a conclusion that they made based on what this person said Mm. they never ask a question they never reflected, you know, they never tested the assumption or tested generalization. They made a statement to, con- to contradict what they thought right. was the conclusion or the belief. And then, of course, it sets off World War III in the comment section. Right. And what I told someone is that, why wouldn't you ask a question? Why wouldn't you call the person, direct message the person, email the person, or even in the comment section say, I hear you saying this, could you explain to me, could you help me understand why you feel the way, could I test, I I wanna test some assumptions. If we saw that played out in the comment section of social media, you'd actually begin to move toward dialogue instead of just percussive discussion, which is what we get on social media. But no one knows how to do that. And then we transfer that way of discussing into emails that we send to each other because we have practiced that way of relating. So it's not just then about data. I mean, what I loved about this, this ladder of inference is that the data, at the, at the level of data, we have to put it between us, right? I have to check that out. It has to be, all, it has to, we have to put that between us and I have to ask questions to you or you ask questions to me about something, right? And then we discover, I wonder, if we then discover more nuanced ways that we're all, we are, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we don't make dis- we don't make these these leaps, but we put it between us, and we go oh, and then we can relate to each other much more um, graciously and um, empathetically and lovingly, right? Um, if you knew that, um, say, somebody who was on their phone is struggling with um, um, 
an anxiety disorder or something, they feel like they have to get stuff done. That's different than a person that doesn't care, right? Then you relate that's to that more person. Of yours. That's a lot more than mine, right? Well, and that's, yeah. that, that's something as we put that between us, and I see a non-anxious presence that you bring you know, to things. And I, I, I have this kind of, I got to get, get stuff done. Where my work is to step back, to, to take the step. Where, and I'm like, you know, I don't have to get anything done. That's not, that's not true. <laughs> we're just hardwired differently. But as we put the data between our differences together, we're then like walking towards our best selves. Mm-hmm. Because I need you in that, in that role in my life. You need me in a role in your life. And we link up. We can now walk towards what, um, what God may have for both of us that I couldn't discover on my own. So I think this then leads us, challenges us when we start thinking about mm. what kind of church yeah. does the world need? Yeah. Does the church, does, yeah. does the world need an activist church that's, that's going to work its way up ladder of inference on, on every particular issue and never engage in this reflexive loop, never engage in real dialogue, never really try to bring people together? Because what I've found over this past year particularly is that we've, <clears throat> we've had, and every church I know, every pastor has dealt with this, people have left their church. It doesn't matter if you're <laughs> conservative or liberal or progressive or traditional or whatever. People have left churches over the last year on issues, period. As I've said, people have left their churches over their political party, but no one's left their political party because of their church. And so people are separating into more and more of the echo chamber camps. Yes. You know, if my church doesn't align exactly like I think, then I'm, gonna, I'm leaving. And I think what the world needs is a church that can embody and model what it means to live in a diverse world yes. with differences yes. in opinions and the ways that we see things, right. but models ways of living in community in the midst of the difference. Right. Right. With love, with grace, yes. embodying humility and self-awareness and yes. in in teaching our children yeah. and our teenagers to engage in this process of reflection, of this reflexive yeah. loop in life. Right. Because what I'm afraid of is that as more people move out of the church and less children and youth are influenced, where are they going to get their moral teaching? Oh, please. Because right. the, the religion... Right. Uh, church and synagogue traditionally that is where children are formed in their are moral formed. character parents right. bring their kids to church now parents do that too but the church works with them in this process right well if children are coming to church less you know they're taking them to all-star baseball every sunday or whatever it is that they do where are children then receiving moral instruction is it do you believe that's happening in schools no Unless you're going to a Christian school, but that's a that's a very low minority of people. Um, I think that's something that people in our culture have to think about. Yeah. Um, well, and what I see here integrated is like a real emotional intelligence, and really, as I think about the fruit of the spirit, this is this is this operationalizes the way of Jesus, right? So if we if if all Jesus has are <laughs> where the two or three are gathered in His name. That's where Jesus is in their midst. Then this gives us almost like a prototype of how to work that out together so that we can be the most open people we can be in love with each other, buried deep in grace, right? The vine and the branches in the soil, 
um, growing good fruit. And the unity then comes from not we believe everything the same about politics or colors or you know, vacation or whatever those things are, you know, anything that could divide. What unifies us is our vulnerability toward each other, Hmm. our checking out the data, our ability to turn towards each other, not away from each other. I like the way you say it operationalizes. It codifies the practices for what it means to be the beloved community. So when Jesus says, Mm -hmm. you heard it said X, like don't kill someone. But I say to you, don't be angry. And it's like, what does that look like? Yes. This, this is rooted in that. Yes. So when you say, well, what does that mean? This is what it means. Let us teach one another how to sit down as Republican, Democrat, traditionalist, progressive, um, you know, whatever, wherever yeah. we are on the yeah. spectrum of, 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 of how mm. racial tensions are in our world. Let us sit down across the table from one another and let us test these assumptions that we make about each other. You know, Mm -hmm. it's one of the things I love about sitting down with Cleve Tinsley, Mm -hmm. you know, is, is he allows me or, you know, to test Mm -hmm. my assumptions about things. Right. And, and does it in a way to where I can uh, feel like he loves me. He cares, you know, he cares me. And so I don't have to be on tilt or something about that or defensive. Right. Man, if we just had more opportunities for that, I'm I'm willing to really be pressed at sensitive places in my life if it's by someone that I know that actually cares about me. Mm. You know, um, and the problem is we're so separated from one another. We've turned people. We've objectified the other side of whatever our point is. We objectify them, and it's easy to hate an object. Right. It's hard to hate a person. Yeah. I, I wonder this. I'm test driving this thought. <laughs> Uh, on this podcast, <laughs> um, it, it seems to me that if this is the um, operational system that allows us to become truly human, that this is the voice, this is the inner voice we begin to develop and cultivate. Uh, this voice that says, I will not hate my brother or sister based on an idea. I'm going to check this out, which, which means that we have to slow down which means that this is a slower, a longer process, right? Because I no longer treat you or other people as objects to my own meaning making, but I slow that down and I check it out. As I develop that voice, that I wonder if it becomes the inner voice of God's spirit that in Pentecost has been poured out on all flesh. And those that listen to that voice, it's actually the voice of Jesus that's been poured out into the culture, right? And so I wonder if those are the voices then in, um, in John where he says, there's other sheep that hear my voice that you don't know about because they've been invested in this, the way of Jesus, even if they don't know the name of Jesus yet. And this way of Jesus will lead them to the person of Jesus because they're turning towards each other in humanity. And they're going to find a group of Christians that say, this is the voice you've been listening to. It's the voice of Jesus that says, don't hate each other, but love each other. And we've got a community of here we're trying to nurture. And they'll say, I knew that voice. I just didn't know that it was the name of Jesus. And I wonder if that's what we're to be involved in uh, in the future. For those of you who would like extra credit <laughs> and you want to do some homework, you can go and uh, what you're talking about is actually something deeply theological 
it's been around for 2,000 years, is that whole struggle with epistemological knowledge of Jesus mm -hmm. versus ontological knowledge of Jesus. Mm. And that is that some people think it's more important that I actually know the name of Jesus than it is that somehow I know in my heart Jesus. Yeah. Without I may not know the name. Yeah. And, you know, boy, you can get some people really like talking about wanting to have an argument. Yeah. And, and what I would say is... <laughs> Over that, but... I would but say I, yes to both of those. But, but what I'm saying is this is not new thoughts like we've yeah. talked about before. Sure. Um, sure. Th these are things that have yeah. been wrestled with in the Christian faith. Because if I think God is beyond time and space, and I think beyond, and God is not limited by my knowledge and my ways no. of how God works, no. then how can I think that God can't be working in someone's heart and life yes. in a way that is outside the frame of what, mm. of the circles I draw, right? right? Mm -hmm. And again, <clears throat> as, a, as, a, as an Orthodox Christian, I believe that that's always happening through Jesus. Right, of course. Cosmologically, of course. we're using big words on this podcast. We should have a, a definition. <laughs> definition at the bottom. Have a lexicon. Well, as, as my mother in the show notes, as my mother often says, you just use those words to remind people you went to Emory. I was like, Emory's not really that fancy of a school. It's not like Harvard or anything. It's just Emory. I mean, come on. But no, I mean, it's. Um, but but if God so loved the world, right? And if, if that's the heart of the gospel, that God loves the heck out of the world, and if he puts eternity in all of our hearts, and that there is a group of folks that have understood the narrative of that love under the name of Jesus, and that we move into the world in a different operational system, which we will not be divided, politics will not become our religion, that there is only one name by which we must be saved. And there are other people that don't know the name of Jesus, but they understand the voice of Jesus' unity in the world. Hmm. Then those are more my brothers and sisters than people that claim to know the name of Jesus and are dividing us up um, and are killing us and are killing the church in a name of Jesus that Jesus doesn't recognize anymore. Right? Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you on that. <clears throat> you know, I think we got to wrap it up. I don't know yeah. how long we've been going, but... I, I think that someone said in our staff meeting this morning that politics has become America's religion. Yes. And social media has become America's family. Family. You just think of how dysfunctional that is. And I just, I will not be able, I mean, I, I just can't go down the road of this militaristic um, spirit about no, Christian faith, no. that where we have to win, we have to be right, we have to draw the line in the sand, hold the line, hold the door, you know. I mean, it's just kind of like, and then ev and then everything is enemy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I again, when I go back to the life and the teachings and the spirit of Jesus, I don't get that. This is that's been the hardest thing for me in all of the denominational squabble and everything else is. I really get that there's a side that believes we are standing on truth, standing on righteousness, standing on purity, mm -hmm. culture is sliding, liberal, whatever it is, and they're putting the flag in the ground. I'm like, I'm, I'm not liberal. I, I mean, I'm not. I mean, I still consider myself conservative. Yeah. I still consider myself orthodox. By the way, it was funny because a couple years ago, I told a lady in the church and I said, I said, I, I still consider myself conservative. She goes, you're not conservative. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry. She goes, yeah, you're not conservative. I said, 
okay, okay. You, you tell me what, you, I, what I am, I am now. <laughs> because then I started outlining, and she goes, well, yes, I guess you are conservative. I, I, I mean, it's like, don't tell me what I am and what I'm not. I'm just yeah. telling you. What I am is like somebody who wants to really take seriously yes. what Jesus These is about. Yes. Yeah. And how do you live that out? When I see... Um, you know, again, I don't, I'm not picking sides here, but when I see this pastor in the pulpit responding to being moved, I didn't, I don't get any sense of humility. I don't get any sense mm. of, of, um, yeah, it, it was, it was anger. It was aggression. It was just, that was just my interpretation. Again, I don't have the opportunity to test the assumptions, so I don't want to go against exactly what we've been talking about here. And so that's why I'm saying I'm withholding judgment on that. I'm just telling you what I was, what I was observing, the data that I was doing, and I made, um, ascribed some value to that. Sure. And I just thought, wow, that just, it speaks to me. Mm-hmm. And there'll be a time and place to test that. Mm-hmm. But um, that's, not what I, that's not what I want to be, and that's not what I see embodied in the way we're supposed to respond when things happen yeah. to us as Christians yeah. um, that we don't want to have happen to us. Mm-hmm. When I hear you talk about this and the way you laid that out at staff today, I think this is this is the Jesus I want to follow into the world. This is the community I want to be a part of. If this is what it means to um, to build community where we check out the data between us, we come back and and really go slower in our relationships to build this. and. And we do that in a real pragmatic way. I think that kind of community becomes unstoppable in the world. Because I think at the end of the day, people are hungry to be known and heard. And if I come back to you or somebody else comes back to me and says, I'm really curious about this. Hmm. That's a real different um, way of being dealt with rather than kind of this. Well, you can even come back to say somebody, I was hurt by this. Of course. Yes. You know, you said this. I was troubled by this. Yes. You know, instead of you're. you. <laughs> well, um, anything else, Jeff? Are we uh, are we taking a season break or just we are rolling? taking a break? Yes, because people need a break from us. Um, <laughs> yes. We're we're going to take a little bit of a break, a couple of weeks. I don't know exactly how much, but or we might have a pop up here and there that we'll we'll send out. But I know summer will be interesting. We don't want to go like a whole season off. I yeah. think we will be popping up from time to time for sure. Pop up in a coffee shop somewhere. We, and I think that would be a great idea. What better way to pop up through the summer than take road trips? I love that. Well, that'd be great. Where, awesome. where are they this week? Yeah. And, and yeah. And if you have a suggestion or want to invite us yeah, to your, yes. you know, your, your uh, retreat home or, or some your travel vacation miles. home, you know, uh, and you know, just let us know. We'll go record from there. Of course. Well, I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy.